Hi, this is Frederick Lubin, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Kimmy He's gets out of his car him. into a wheelchair. That is not an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave you all with a mic drop. <laughs> he actually did as well. It's lights out and away we go! Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's the Formula Nerds. Today we have Matt. Hello, hello. Good to be back. We have Callum. Hello all. Thank you for listening. And that's it. You got me. There's only the three of us today. Hello everybody, it's me, Will. I've got to admit, I'm feeling like a bit of a Lance Stroll, i.e. a total idiot. I misinterpreted my calendar and I'm not going to be able to join you on today's podcast. Unlike Will, I'm able to read my texts. I'm at Disney World celebrating my mother-in-law's birthday, but it appears we have the A-team on this podcast. What is happening? Well, it, I, th- I think it's unacceptable. What, what should we do to punish them? I think maybe they all have to get tattoos now as a default somehow. We've got to find a way for, 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 for them to be punished for this. They get the beers in. They get the beers in. Uh, they I'm, get I'm, the I'm, beers in. I'm happy with that. They can donate to PayPal to Matt in America. Matt can go down, go down the liquor store, buy some uh, of whatever he wants. What, what do you drink, Matt? Uh, I'm ashamed to admit, but today's beverage of choice is Michelob Ultra because it is the budget-friendly beer. Well, I've got a Guinness because I'm a man. Christ. And Callum, what have you got? Gin. Gin. Gin and lemonade. It's lovely. <laughs> a few strawberries drops in there as well. Oh, gosh. Who are you guys? I'm just, just to our listeners, if you're listening to this in the morning on your way to work or something like that, it is Saturday night at the time of recording, okay? So um, we're not a bunch of alcoholics getting pissed on a podcast. Um, Brilliant. So on that note, uh, just thanks again to everyone who's listened, downloaded. We love you. Uh, keep doing it. Spread the word. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. We are on Facebook Formula Nerds. We are on Instagram. Callum, what's our Instagram name? Formula Nerds. Funny that. Matt, I can't remember our, um, our website address. I want to go out on a limb here. and I believe it's formulanerds.com. There's no excuse for forgetting. Yeah, we even bought .co.uk for those uh, people that um, can't remember. So, um, happy days. Um, on the show this week, we've got an interview with British Formula 4 driver, which we're going to play a little later on. Exclusive interviews brought to you by the Formula Nerds, where we speak to the people in the business right here. Today, Frederick Lubin, British Formula 4 driver. It's exciting. Don't go anywhere. Make sure you listen to that. It gives us a really good insight into the world of motorsport. So today we're going to talk Honda leaving F1 at the end of 2021. Now, we ran a little um, a poll on our Facebook group asking our members what they wanted to talk about today. And this has been the news of the week. It won pretty much hands down. Guys, what is going on? Honda is leaving F1 at the end of next year. Well... First and foremost, it's got our Instagram popping off with all the memes I've been able to make out of this. Thank you very much, Honda. Yeah, them leaving, that has thrown a right spanner in the works, hasn't it? One of my memes was actually Christian Horner ringing up Cyril Abitable, asking for his engine back, and obviously him just hanging up. So it'd be very interesting 
to see their relationship because obviously they were not the best of friends when we saw it on Drive to Survive on Netflix. Quite a spicy exchange went on there. So, you know, be interesting to see what happens. First reporter to ask them that question about how they feel about this potential merger coming back to life is a goldmine. Uh, but also, Honda choose, I understand, Green Earth, uh, they're pulling out to maintain their goal of, is it carbon neutrality by 2050? Yeah. That's a problem for future Honda. You're knocking on the door of a championship. What are you doing to poor Max by bolting like this? Let, uh, let's, let's, come on, guys. Let, let's be honest here. It's not because of that, is it? Surely that is not the reason that they've suddenly announced, that decided to pull out. It's got to be financial, coronavirus. It's, that's not the only reason, is it? I don't think they're going to come out and say it's coronavirus. They have to paint it in a PR-friendly way. I'm not on their board of directors, but with everything going on and them still maintaining that engine supplying role in IndyCar, how can they justify and say that it's because of emissions-related worries and continue to supply engines in other motorsports? That just doesn't make sense to me. If something is not being told to us on the whole, or maybe they're thrown in the towel thinking they can't compete with Mercedes going forward. That's a good possibility, isn't it? I mean, they've seen the performance over the last two or three seasons and they've just never been able to get up there with Mercedes. You know, obviously Ferrari this season, Honda appear to be faster on straight line speed, but Renault have closed the gap. Um, you know, we saw Daniel Ricciardo finish fifth at Sochi. So that was really interesting. You know, Renault closed the gap. Mercedes have gone even further forward and Ferrari have just fell off the horse, haven't they? So I think Honda may be thinking, can we keep up year in, year out, and can we improve? Did you mean to say fell off the horse, Cal? Was that pre-planned or...? No. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was... Midway saying that, I, ne- <laughs> I nearly laughed. I realised what I said. Oh. Well, okay, so... I quote, Appendix 9 of the FIA sporting regulations obliges the manufacturer with the fewest partner teams to supply a competitor that has no alternatives. So from next year, Mercedes will have four teams, Ferrari will have three, while currently Renault will be supplying to Alpine. Alpine? Alpine? We haven't decided yet. Renault doesn't have a choice in this. If Red Bull does not come to an agreement with the other two suppliers, Renault is forced, per the regulations, to give them the engine, whether they want to or not. And there are stipulations in Article 9 of the sporting regulations that state how much they can charge for the engine, when they ha- the payments have to be made. So all that talk Christian Horner gave uh, Cyril Vittable about having to pay Daniel Ricciardo, uh, it's got to sting if you're Christian Horner to know that you're helping pay his salary for a rival team at the end of this next season if he doesn't get a deal somewhere else. So why, why doesn't Renault want to supply to Red Bull? Uh, there's a lot of gesturing and politicking back and forth between them. Uh, you know, there's got to be bad blood. Renault took Daniel Ricciardo in a surprise move from Red Bull and Christian Horner. Uh, Red Bull repeatedly knocked the reliability and performance of the Renault engines of old. There's got to be bad blood and politicking there. Uh, Christian Horner lost his driver to Renault and Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, there was a lot of 
poking at each other about their liability and the performance of the engines. I'll duck, Matt. I have to interrupt you there. Christian Horner didn't lose his driver. He gave his driver away. Fair point. I mean, yeah, I can't even argue that point. It's going to be a very bitter pill for Renault to have to deal with that. And once they were so badmouthed, kind of like Alonzo badmouthing another engine supplier that we will not discuss because they're leaving us. Uh, but to be told that you're no good, we want better, we want somebody else, and now they are required potentially to get in the engines. That stings. So I think the only other manufacturer who were sort of working on a, on getting into Formula One um, were Porsche. So they decided they, they did they did develop a power unit, but then they decided against entering. Um, and they were the closest to, to entering the sport in, in this sense. So is this already a done deal? Are we wasting our time even talking about this? I'm not sure, to be honest. It's, it's all smoke and mirrors on that point for me. Um, it would be really interesting to see what Porsche could do because obviously they are Le Mans winners, uh, GT3 winners and all that sort of thing. They're really good across the motorsport board. Um, but I don't think they're involved in open wheeled racing. So it'd be really interesting to see what they could do with an open-wheeled car because obviously they'd have to develop the engine, but then if they had a um, a team of their own as well in the sport, they'd have to develop the aero and all that sort of thing as well, the chassis. And they're not used to open-wheeled cars, so maybe that's why they thought we won't bother because they didn't want to just be an engine supplier. I think they wanted to have a team. Too much of a task to take on for them. I also think, you know, we're not talking a generic engine like here in the States, we still have push rod engines. We're not a simplistic lay down, make it bigger, more at Jeremy Clarkson, more power. It's a very sophisticated power. Ah! <laughs> oh, in <with>, the plums. <laughs> uh, it's not an overnight developmental project whatsoever. Uh, Mercedes found a way to package it through all the various iterations they had designing the layouts and the geometry of just where they're going to do the components, splitting the turbos, all of that. So it's not a cheap or quick process. I just think the return for Porsche to make the power plant and possibly not work in sync well with another chassis, with the aero packages some of the teams are designing, you know, racing point up until last year, we're still running a Mercedes engine, the cream of the crop, and still weren't finding the way forward. So even if Porsche put all that money into developing an engine. Would they get a return? Would it be worth the investment and time and money to get one onto the field? Do you guys think that this is at its seams? Red Bull have just found this out as we have, or do you think they've known about this for ages? They've got something up their sleeve. They've got a plan in place. They just need to get all the documents signed and things moving. Just surely it can't be, oh God, Renault have just left us. What do we do? You'd hope not. You would really hope not, you know, considering that. Surely it can't be Honda just left us. Uh, what do we do? You'd hope not because, you know, Renault, Red Bull, sorry, are in the top three in the Constructors' Championships and have been consistently. So you'd hope that the big team like that wouldn't really have just let Honda slip away like that. You'd think that it was some conversation in the background sort of fighting to keep hold of them or whatever because I can fully imagine they did not want to go to Renault cap in hand. Um, Mercedes are probably going to charge them through the through the roof because 
they're it's just a higher not team. Happen, is it? It's, just it's not. never going to happen. And they've seen Ferrari's engine this year. They don't want that. So the only feasible option for them is Renault. And okay, I don't so think they want that. I'm wondering, I said a little bit earlier on in the conversation if, you know, the reasons for this, um, I think the 2050, um, whatever it was, Matt, I think that's um, just a bit of cover. But um, could this be because of the 2021 regulation changes? It could definitely tie into that. Uh, Not only are there specific allocations on what they can and can't spend money on. There are provisions inside those 2021 cost cap and regulations stating that the maximum they can charge for a power unit is $15 million. So you have to look at the return of investment on that. You know, you have to pay the people to manufacture it, test it, build it, and all of that. But also, it's a very bitter pill to swallow looking at, touching back on Renault and, Haunt, uh, touching back on Renault and Red Bull. The same way that Renault had the rug pulled out from underneath them when Red Bull bolted, Honda. So that takes us quite nicely into the 2021 rules and regulations changes. Um, we're going to cover this a little bit later on, but I think now now is sort of the perfect time to really explain this to the fans that might not fully understand this, might not understand what's included, what isn't. They might be getting it confused with the 2022 changes. So, um, Matt, do you want to just tell us what's involved with this, what isn't involved, um, and sort of a, a, a bit of an overview? So the biggest differentiating factor between the 2021 regulation changes and the 2022 regulation changes is the implementation of the cost cap. The cost cap is the focus of the 2021 regulation changes. Uh, They tie in on a sliding scale. Uh, Because of COVID, they were initially going to come in with a $175 million cap. When the pandemic hit, they reduced that to $145 million. In 2022, that goes down to $140 and $135 million in 2023. Basically, what they state is that everything directly related to the production and performance of the car falls under that cap. Uh, there are also stipulations because of the virus as well. You have to have 21 Grand Prix for that $145 million cost cap to take effect. So if there are fewer races, I think it's $1 million or dollars per race can be taken off of that but they still have to fall within those confines. Does it include your marketing? Does it include the top three personnel of the teams, driver fees, heritage car maintenance, factory costs, all of that. It's specifically tied to the car. It's the only thing that's covered. So Red Bull team spent 237 million pounds last year. Um, How how on earth are they going to meet the 113 million uh, budget cap next year? One of the best ways they can do this is wind tunnel and aero testing. Between computational fluid dynamics, which is studying the flow over the materials through simulations and projections, but also actual wind tunnel runs, uh, that's covered in the 2021 regulation changes. Uh, the limit going forward is going to be 65 wind tunnel runs a week. And you know, Red Bull has been using different parts and different components from different suppliers And with the new regulations, they're locking down on how many runs they can do because Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari are able to spend these massive amounts of money on this. And teams like Williams and Haas may not have the facilities or the budget to do so. That alone will help uh, Red Bull make it. It will also help the teams farther down with this cost cap because they're actually doing an inverse grid. The higher you perform on track, the fewer runs you have in the wind tunnel. 
So it will not only help Red Bull stay under the cost cap, it will bring the other teams closer up to the midfield, which is the whole point of the regulations going forward. Okay, so that sort of makes a bit, a bit of sense if you're talking about Red Bull, where they became the sister team of AlphaTauri, right? That makes sense now. We spoke about that on a, f- on a few episodes ago. If you missed it, go back on the iTunes store. But um, if, th- that's got to be why they're not the junior team anymore. They're the sister team or whatever that, that, that whole setup is, is because they're sharing facilities for this budget cap. Uh, another key thing to watch going forward with these is that right now there is a freeze until January of 2021 before all this aero testing lockdown goes into effect. I'd be very, very curious to see not only how the teams budget and allocate if we can get that data going forward, but also with that reverse grid for the availability of aero runs, does somebody like Mercedes, if they are so far ahead on track, do they start go ahead and developing for next year because they have a certain allocation of time they can spend in the tunnel? If you're somebody like Ferrari, do you just abandon ship like we talked about a couple episodes and devote all that extra time you're getting because you're getting so spanked on track to next year in hopes of closing that gap? It, it, there's a lot of different ways that can be played and utilized for the teams. So what, what you're saying is you can't prepare for every scenario. You've, you've only got a limited um, option in, in, in what you can spend your money on. So Mercedes can't prepare to be in front and behind. They've just got to, well, focus on the, a bit more on the, the, the core racing aspects. Is that your point? Absolutely. Not only can you not cover every base and run every scenario, but if you're lagging behind in your aero testing or you're suffering on track, you're almost rewarded by giving additional allocations for testing, depending on upon your performance. So there's, it's a give and take. It's finding that balancing act, which we all know Mercedes is brilliant at, but can they maintain that going forward under the umbrella of these regulations? Okay, okay. Just, just hold the thoughts of reverse grids because it's something we haven't spoken about. But um, what, else is, what else is changing next year? That's the majority of it so far. Obviously, there are all the complete redesigns going to 2022. Uh, but next year basically comes down to money, money, money. 2022 is the complete redesign when you'll see massive changes across the grid. Uh, Next year, just be prepared. It's going to be more of the same. Mercedes have done their due diligence. They have covered their bases. I project to see them on top thoroughly and continue to do so until the 2022 regulations come into place. Okay, so if I've taken this all incorrectly and I've understood the whole point of this change, uh, what it's out to achieve, which is to level the playing field, are we going to see Williams win a race next year because the teams, the bigger teams are not going to be able to spend all of the money that they have done before? No. <laughs> you also won't see them in 2022 winning a race with the redesign. It will take a couple of years for these changes to take effect, especially once we go to the completely new platform in 2022. Next year, I think, is basically for teams like Williams and Haas a chance to take a breath recover from the pandemic, try and keep everything a little bit closer to the chest and make their teams more viable. So if you now don't understand the financial implications of next year, then rewind about, uh, what, 10 minutes and press play again. I did mention just uh, reverse grid. So I I don't want to spend long on this because it's something that comes in the media, goes out the media, goes in, comes out, everyone's got their opinion. We're not talking about, okay, you qualify in first and you start at the back. That's obviously not going to work. Um, so to all the sort of people who go, oh, reverse grids is ridiculous, everyone will drive slowly in qualifying. Which one of you just wants to give, a, give your opinions on it and, and how, how, it could, how it could work? 
So F2 use the reverse grid aspect, don't they? And from what I saw, they do a practice session, a qualifying session, race one, race two. Now, race one, obviously, they use the qualifying. Whoever finishes first in that, they start first. But race two, they take the final standings of race one and swap them over to eighth place, starts first. And then you swap the top eight around like that. That's how it works there. But the only reason that works is because they have two races. You couldn't do it with Formula One because you'd need two races, meaning that you'd completely change up the dynamic of everything and the way the weekend works. You'd need less practice sessions, a longer qualifying session, and then two smaller races to make this work. Essentially, what I think they're proposing is a sprint race on the Saturday um, and then a full feature race on the Sunday. It's not a case of, um, you know, you qualify last, you start first, is it? Let's just be clear here. No, absolutely not. Like I say, Formula 2 and they use the top eight. So if you finish ninth, you're really unlucky because you're still starting ninth. But the guy who's beating you by half a second gets put at the top of the grid. Do you like the idea? I, personally, I know every, there are a lot of people against it. Oh, oh it's, it's rubbish. If you're a good driver, you should be a good driver. I really like the idea. I'm just putting it out there. I think, I think we should at least test it. I think testing it would be good. But what you've got to understand is that Formula 2 cars are all of the same standard. Formula 1 cars are vastly different. You have a Williams and a Mercedes. They are vastly different cars in power, speed, performance, across the board. That is why F2 are able to do this. F1, I, don't, I can't see it working. I, I really can't. I still think you'd see Hamilton, Bottas, 1-2 most weekends on both races. Also, these teams are there to make money. F1 is a business. So by quote-unquote punishing the faster cars by putting them at the rear, not only do they have a chance to not win the prize money, but lose their investment on the vehicles they've made to be the fastest. They shouldn't be punished that way. That's coming from a Tafosi defending Mercedes. If Lewis started in eighth, he's going to get more airtime, isn't he, if he's having to fight his way up the field? That's very true. I just I think the cars would need to be more equal. Yeah, and you, d- you did mention F2. It's worth noting that they all have exactly the same engines. They are the same car. The only thing that they can do is adapt the setup of it to, to suit the drivers, essentially. So it is an equal playing field. Christian Horner did comment on it a, a little while ago now. He basically said, we should trial it, but it should be a non-championship race. Or save it to 2022 when everybody will have essentially the same starting point rather than trying to play catch-up all these years later and then risk all of it. It's just a case of everyone's bored of Mercedes. Well, everyone's bored of Lewis Hamilton winning every week right now. So they're trying to do anything in the world to think of ideas to spice up the racing. We have seen some good races that have had uh, unusual grids or, or second starts and things like that. So I get the logic behind it. I understand it. I'd like to see it happen and then uh, really, really give my full opinion on it. It's time to get into our interview. We'll see you on the other side. Exclusive interviews brought to you by the Formula Nerds, where we speak to the people in the business right here. Today, Frederick Lubin, British Formula 4 driver. On the Cut to the Race podcast this week, we have a very special guest with us. What is your name, sir? I am Frederick Lubin. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you're the first guest that we've had on the show, so um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I know our listeners are going to be really interested to hear um, all of all about yourself um, and, and your insight on motorsport. So do you just want to tell us 
Um, a little bit about yourself, um, where you're racing at the moment, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I guess the best place to start is how old I am. So uh, I'm 16, uh, I'm British, uh, and I'm racing in the British F4 Championship, um, currently with Arden Motorsport. And I think this is my fourth fourth year in motorsports, I think. Um, yeah, I started off in, in junior max and then, yeah, gradually worked my way up into into cars. Wow. That, that, um, I mean, yeah. that, 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 I can't believe you're so young. It's incredible. Um, God, what was I doing at that age? It's, it's unreal. Yeah. Um, how, how did you get into motorsport? What, what, what made you pursue it? Um, well, I guess my father's always been into cars. Um, and I think I watched Stefan on the TV and IndyCar a couple of times when I was younger. Um, and then I think my first time in a cart was maybe eight at like a corporate track. Um, and then, yeah, I'd just been dying to get into like the serious karting. And then I think it one day it happened. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it went forward from there. So it was quite a late start into like serious motorsport, but I like cars and, and racing, I guess has always been a, an interest or a passion. Was there a driver that particularly inspired you to get into motorsport? Maybe someone in F1? Uh, I think probably Lewis Hamilton growing up because, you know, mm. he was the, you know, he was the big headline, um, you know, a karting driver get picked up by McLaren at such a young age and gets, you know, pulled through. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, Schumacher was with Mercedes still on TV when I was younger. So, um, you know, there were still some big names, uh, and obviously if they're still racing and they've got such history, it's like, they're still iconic. So, um, yeah, quite a few, but as I think growing up, Lewis Hamilton was definitely the, the main topic. Certainly. I mean, I think he's done an incredible um, job in this country, certainly to inspire the the, the next generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've always wondered what, what is it that you need to give up sort of in your social life, in your entire life to, to, to pursue motorsport? You know, it must be quite an intense schedule. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, well, I guess it comes with so much because you, you know, you're obliged to, because obviously at this level you sign a contract to your team. So you're obliged to meet their demands, I suppose. So you have to, you have to give up a lot of things, not just for, your, for yourself, but you have to give them up to help other people too. Um, and there's a lot of responsibilities that come with it, you know, like the training and obviously you're missing so much time with school. You've got to catch up with, with that as well. So I guess people my age would be partying and, and going out with their mates, I, I guess I still have the time to do that, but it would be so tight for me to do so that it, I would be, you know, I wouldn't be 100% for, for the racing. So there are sacrifices, but you're so passionate about the sport that it's, it's not really that, that big a deal in, in my eyes. Um, but yeah, I think as a family, I think there's a lot of sacrifices as well. Um, but yeah, it's all, guess it's all it's all part of of trying to get your way to the top certainly i think um those that don't really know much about motorsport maybe they watch the odd race here and there they might think oh they only you know they turn up on a on a sunday and have a race and then yeah. they're off for the week but that, that's not the case at all is it no no um i mean 
if there's th- that much work at this level, I can only imagine how much there is at the top. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes going on. Definitely. So, um, can, can can you remember your first competitive race that you took part in? What, what, I assume yeah. it's in carts. So tell me yeah, about that. You must have been what nervous, excited. How did it go? Yeah, I was. Um, I was very nervous. Uh, very nervous. Very excited. I guess all of the emotions. Um, I wasn't very quick, um, but um, yeah, no, it was good fun. Uh, it was at a. It was at Bayford Meadows. It was a warm, sunny day. And it was my first race with Project One. Um, I think I got first place novice or something. Um, but yeah, that that was that was it. And then um, yeah, it just it just built and got better and better and and more competitive. And then each weekend, you know, I was doing more and more, whether it was testing or racing. So yeah, that was. Um, I mean, what, just to give us an idea, you know, you don't have a driving license at the moment, do you? So how, no. how fast do you, do those, you know, the carts that you first competitively raced in, how, how fast do they actually yeah. go? What's it like driving one of those? Um, well, I actually don't, I think, I think they're about 50 mile an hour, 50, I think 50, 60, I, I sub something around there. I'm not actually 100% sure, but, um, it's, it's more because, because they're so light, you know, the heaviest thing is is probably the driver, uh, and you're only sat like that far off the floor, so you're so close. It, it feels a lot quicker than it actually is, um, and yeah, they, I mean they accelerate as fast as anything, so they feel a, a lot quicker than they actually are. But um, I mean, at that age, it's quick. So it's not it's not like your average go karting track where you go with uh, for your birthday party, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's it's very different. But um, it's not like it, this. I guess the sort of person that would do that could very easily test or or race those. You know, the professional karts as such. Um, it's not like it's a big transition or a hard thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just knowing where to look. Okay, so you, you said you've been in the in the motorsport world for f- four years now, competing. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of questions. We're going to start with what's been the most difficult sort of event? You know, have you had any um, real uh, big crashes? Have you had any uh, tough, tough races? What's What are the lowlights? And then we will go on to right. the highlights. Yeah, uh, the lowlights. Well, I, I guess my most recent weekend in F4... Uh, last weekend at Silverstone was pretty low. Um, I think it's probably the lowest I've had in quite a while. Um, and I guess the lows that, I mean, they can come in any form. Uh, I think at Silverstone for me, I got crashed into at race one. Um, and you know, that resulted in a DNF. Um, and you know, it's, it's not so much the fact that you're not finishing a race. It's the fact that you're not bringing home points for yourself you're not bringing home points for the team um and then obviously because that happened in race one I had everything within my power to kind of fix that and improve on it for race two and three but I think that had a knock-on effect and I couldn't lift my head high enough to to come back from that um and that makes it more frustrating because it's something that you could have done yep um but I mean yeah you could you know, you could have that one chance in qualifying and you ruin it. Uh, and then obviously you're starting further back than where you should be and that ruins your races. Um, yeah, I mean, it could come in any form. Um, 
And but, what, yeah. what do you do personally to sort of um, get over that, you know, uh, mentally? How, how do you pull yourself together and think, right, put that to one side and let's, let, let, let's, let's move on? I think, um, I think not to dwell on it. Uh, I, I get said a lot about, it gets said about a lot of things, but yeah, definitely not to dwell on things. Um, I think once, you know, obviously once you've gone into the steward's room or whatever, once you've, you know, had that appeal, I guess, against whatever points it may be or, or penalties, I think once you've come out of that, the best thing to do is to just to reset and kind of for, not forget that that's happened, but just move on from it. Um, and kind of use, I guess, the, the the anger or the frustration or whatever to use that um, rationally for the next race to, to help you kind of get over that. Because I think if you can't, if your next race isn't as good, then obviously it will have a knock-on effect for the whole weekend. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you're just not competing at, at the level that you, you feel you should. Yeah, I, I, you certainly see it with the with the younger F one drivers. They struggle to sort of pull themselves yeah. together quicker. And yeah, no, no, I, I can see that. Um, enough of the bad stuff. Tell yeah. me what the sort of the career highlight has been off and on circuit. So you know, what's your best race been? What's the most? What's really made you love what you do? And um, you know, what, what's been what's been the highlights? I think um, in terms of a best race, I think the best race I've felt I've ever had was was Donington round one of the British F4 uh race two I finished fourth um and um yeah I I think that was definitely my my best I feel because I had the pace you know although people in front of me had crashed you know I had I had the restart that I had to to get through and then I had to get past my teammate um and I there was a gap but I think my pace was definitely worthy of a top four finish. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I felt like I was really comfortable with, with being there. I wasn't really feeling the pressure. Um, and I felt, I felt I could manage my gaps really easily. Um, so that's definitely my best race to date still. I think um, I equaled a fourth at Thruxton, but that was pretty much on luck. Um and at least you admit it at least you admit it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um yeah I, we didn't really have the pace to be in in fourth i think at, you know if i had have driven at my best it probably would have got away with the top five but um yeah it, some of the other teams were just too too far up the road for us to catch um but yeah I, I had some really good like my first race in senior max was was really well i think um i qualified second in group um had some bad heats and had to start eighth in the final and then came through to, to fourth. So, um, yeah, there's been some, some good races here and there, but definitely Donington race two is the standout for sure. Brilliant. Brilliant. We'll, we'll try and get some footage and then uh, see what we can do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Okay. And how would you, if you had to look at yourself as a driver, how would you describe your style? You know, are you that aggressive, go for any chance, or are you that cool, calm, consistent, deliver? What, what, reflecting uh, on yourself, what would you say? I definitely would go with the latter. Um, I think if I look back at, at this year, there have been some races where I, you know, I've gone. I, I definitely could have done something there, um, or you know, I've sat sat here for way too long. Um, so definitely the more conservative side of things um 
but uh, I think I guess it's it's knowing when to pick when you're going to make the move. I guess if you're if you're always looking for that space, it's maybe too aggressive. Uh, and if you're always waiting, then it's too conservative and, and you're not moving forward enough. So it's just having that that knowledge and that balance of, of when you need to do it. Um, but yeah, definitely on the smoother side of things, I think there's, I could be smoother, but um, as, as if we were using a scale, I'm towards the smoother end, I suppose. Okay, that, that, that's really interesting. Um, so from here, um, obviously you're in British F4 at the moment. I believe you are ninth in the championship? Yeah, ninth or 10th, I think. Yeah, 10th, I, uh, I think, 10th, yeah. Okay. So I believe you're 10th in the championship. Um, <laughs> tell me, what, what's next for you? You know, where do you want to take your career? Um, what, what, what is your ultimate goal? Um, my ultimate goal is Formula One. Um, I think that's, that's the pinnacle of motorsport. I think that's what everyone looks up to. If you can be one of those 20, you know, you're one of the 20 best in the world. Um, so that's definitely where I want to get to. That's, that's where my head is at. Um, but also, I guess I'm passionate about motorsports in general. So if, if I was in a position where I could be getting, a, you know, a paid drive, you know, at, maybe at 18, 17, but that wasn't in Formula One, that was maybe in GT cars. I think I would definitely go that route because I'm just, I think I'm just happy to be, to be racing, driving, you know, whether that's a single seater or a, a GT car. But if, um, if there's a route to Formula One, I definitely would, would stick to that for sure. Um, but um, it's just, I guess next year is just whether I do another year of British F4 or whatever it is, it's just a way to, you know, help progress through the ladder as, as quickly as possible without skipping over or, or missing certain, I guess, experiences or, you know, ticking the boxes as such. For sure, for sure. Um, being in the motorsport world, who, in your opinion, would you say is the current most exciting or, or, or driver or who's really on course to go somewhere? You can say yourself if you want, but uh, <laughs> who's, who do you think has got that um, real spark? I, there are a lot of, of really fantastic drivers out there um, that I, I think they deserve a lot more than, you know, what, what they're doing at the minute. Um, I guess... My, I, my driver coach, Alex Quinn, um, he really, he does amaze me. I think with the things that he's, he's done and the things that he's doing, I think you can give him an uncompetitive car and by the end of the week, he'll make that car worthy of a top five. Um, uh, yeah. So he's, he's definitely amazes me with the things that he's able to do and the things that he says and the feedback he gives. So he's someone that I look up to, um, and uh, yeah, I, I wish him all the best and I hope that he can get as high up the ladder as, as he can. Do you think it's an equal <laughs> playing field? Do you think the best drivers get to where they should go or do you think there's a bit of luck in there? How does the inside workings of motorsport really function? Uh, well, I, you know, I guess with, with all sports, there's always, well, like with anything, there's always luck involved. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's not always it's not always a level playing field, but, um, it's, it's not 
totally one-sided like like in formula one you know it's not like it's not like there's a mercedes car and then there's a red bull car you know it's all to an extent it's all very close um so it's the driver that makes the big difference but you know you're always going to have a driver that gets through with a little bit more luck or he creates that luck more so than other drivers um but um yeah as at this level it is incredibly level uh, uh the playing field is incredibly level okay um that, that, yeah that, that's good to hear that's really good to hear um yeah in a very simple sense um just to give our, our listeners an idea, how would you compare sort of a, a, a British Formula 4 car to a road car, just so that, you know, people can uh, understand what it is you're actually achieving here? To compare it to a road car, I, I guess uh, I saw actually saw on YouTube, um, I saw a good comparison of an F4 car made to a Porsche GT3, I think. Okay, I'd um, like to see that if you send that and, over. Yeah, they're about, I think they're about the same. The Porsche is, is quicker in a straight line, but the F4 is is much quicker through the corners. Um, and that's just down to the mechanical grip and the downforce that the F4 car has to offer. Well, um, so it, it's really not a, you know, it, it's it's still a challenge. You know, these single-seaters are, are seriously yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah. I think physically there's a lot of challenge as well. Um compared to a road car because road cars have power steering and things. Um, so yeah. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you for joining us. Do you want to um, let the listeners know where they can find you, how they can follow you, any social media links? Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, my Instagram is Frederick underscore Lubin. Uh, my Facebook is Frederick Lubin racing and my Twitter, I think is the same as my, as my Facebook. Um, yeah so if you uh, give us a follow that would be very much appreciated and uh, thank you very much for having me so let's talk about Sergio Perez um, he said that he thinks he's secured his future or that he's uh, on his way to securing it in F1 we, we, we previously spoke is he going to a different series was he going to um, IndyCar so what do you got what's the story here I think there can only really be one place Sergio Perez is looking. Can I take a guess? That can is, I take a guess? Ooh, hurt me. I'll take a guess as well. Go on, Ollie, you first. <laughs> Sorry, you just said hurt me. Um, my guess <laughs> is that he will be going to Haas. Oh, that was my guess. But that was guess. my guess. Yeah. Change yours. <laughs> Change yours. So who's leaving for Perez? Does it matter? Um, I think I think K Mag is better than Grosjean. I think they'd be, if they got rid of K Mag over Grosjean, that'd be a very stupid move. No, no, Gene no, no. House's we cannot problem. lose Grosjean from F1. Cal, you make memes and you want to get rid of Grosjean. You're right. <laughs> Keep Grosjean. Get rid of K Mag. He's never once produced me a meme. The only other place I could see him going would have been Alfa Romeo. That is dependent upon old man Kimi because Antonio Giovinazzi is secured in his contract comes with sponsors and is having a fairly good season. Uh, the only reason, oh, I see Cal disagrees with a fairly good season. I since when? Well. Since when has he had a good season? He's actually outraced Kimmy twice this year already. Had higher results than him. Kimmy he gets out of his car him. into a wheelchair. That is not an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> but he hasn't always. He hasn't always. It's, it's just, the same boat as George and Nicholas Latifi, you know, you have to respect him, uh, but he's closed the gap. 
He's not a King's lover. Not, I won't say that. Giovinazzi is not the same as George Russell, Matt. I need you to take that back, or, or I don't think I can be. No, 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 no. I, I George Russell is Kimmy, and Antonio Giovinazzi is Nicholas Satipi in this comparison. Did you did you just so he, backtrack there slightly? Yeah, I think you did. I think there was a think, massive U turn. I hope I didn't miss. <laughs> All I'm saying is he has closed the gap to the man in front of him, and Kimmy is old. Don't hurt me, Kimmy. But <laughs> I think we're all in agreement. It has to be Haas. Uh, K-Mags, yes, is the better qualifier. Grosjean has more sponsors, comes with more money. But with Gene Haas's pockets getting a little bit deeper, thanks to other ventures, and Sergio Perez being well-plied with sponsors and money, I think he can have his pick of the litter. More importantly, whoever Gunther likes more is probably safe, which would mean... The meme king himself, Roman Grosjean, may be out of a seat going forward. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I'm, I'm quitting this whole, this whole Formula Notes thing if he goes. Uh, I've just had a quick look. And Nico Hulkenberg, right? He's ahead of Kimi Räikkönen in the championship. So, so he's ahead of Giovinazzi. He's ahead of Magnussen, Latifi, Russell, and Grosjean. He only did one damn race. <laughs> in a racing point, to be fair. You know, a points-scoring car on the regular... Good point. So really, we, 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 we reckon he's going to um, Haas, but we don't know who he's really going to replace, do we? We don't, but the thing is, Hulkenberg was looking at Haas last year, and the biggest thing that kept him from signing that contract was the money for his uh, salary to come there. So well, that would be my biggest thing, to be honest. Matt, I don't disagree with him there. Well, that's because Hulkenberg doesn't have the sponsorships of the depth and caliber that Sergio Perez does. So he doesn't, he's not as reliant upon his contract for his financial income as Nico Hulkenberg is. And I think therein lies the difference why he was able to make that deal. Has Hulkenberg not, not had his chance now? I think he's had plenty of races and not, you know, he's, he, he's had plenty of them where he could have finished in the top three. I don't want to go over this whole conversation again, but I don't, personally, I can't see that they're entertaining Hulkenberg. I'm tired of Nico breaking my heart. We all pulled for him when he stepped in for Sergio. We all, the entire F1 fan base and world wanted him to have a podium, and he couldn't deliver. I think it's time to close the book and move forward for him. Let's finish up this week and just talk about the Nürburgring next weekend. So, man, this is a track and a half. So I, um, I, I re-watched the race from the last race that was there from 2007 last night. What do you guys think of the track? Um, what's your greatest memories there? I mean, for me, it's that race because um, I saw it yesterday and I have a short-term memory. But um, that was a heck of a race. Oh, my God. I'm in the same boat. That is that race. It was it was fantastic from start to finish, and you know the the weather is looking fairly similar. So, are we going to have flashes in the pan of 2007 again? Because that was incredible. I don't want to get too excited because I feel like a little kid with Christmas coming. Yes. So, if you don't remember the the the, the 2007 Grand Prix, this was when uh, you know Lewis was fighting for the championship against Lonzo, uh, Kimi, and this race was um, it was wet before they started. Um, then they started, then it poured down and we, we actually watched um, so, some of the highlights of this race. <laughs> I can't give a face to face talking about this. Um, Matt, what happened to Lewis Hamilton when he crashed into the barrier? Lewis Hamilton took being a F1 pilot to a whole new level when he stayed in the car as it was flown out of the gravel pit by the tractor. 
this just wouldn't happen these days. All the cars piled out, piled, crashed on the last corner, essentially spun off because of the rain. They're all in the barrier. But somehow Lewis Hamilton gets picked up by a tractor, with him still in the car, driven back to the circuit, and then carries on whilst this tractor leaves everyone else in the barrier. I mean, you wouldn't see a driver sitting in the car now with it being towed, with it lifted up on a tractor, would you? Let's be honest here. What the hell was going on there? Not a chance in hell. That race would have been red flagged as soon as the first car hit the wall in 2020. It's ridiculous how much has changed over the last 13 years. We literally saw three cars bounce off each other because they red flag it for you know a car in an unsafe position. How much more unsafe do you need when you have cars careening into each other at 60 miles an hour in the gravel trap? <laughs> it yielded some amazingly entertaining results for all of us. The racing was incredible. It was such a good race. And just to touch on that, I mean, you, you had a you had a tractor in the gravel and cars spinning at it. It was just chaos. Um, but you know, those are the old days. If you if you haven't seen that race, by the way, this isn't a sponsor. We don't get paid. But F1, if you want to pay us, then then give me a call. But um, watch it on F1 TV. You can watch the whole thing there. It's absolutely brilliant. About the track, what's the history? When we saw this was coming out to the calendar, um, Matt, you, you, you were a little a tad excited about it, weren't you? Just a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people associate the Nürburgring when we hear that with, as Cal and I were talking earlier, with the gargantuan, what is it, Cal? 22 kilometer. Green yeah. hell. Yeah, it just, you know, historically back in the 70s, one of the most unsafe, unforgiving, no runoff area, death traps of a track. But the history around that track, both Nordschleife, the Nürburgring GP circuit and the full ring itself, there's just so much history there. So many great moments, both in the Formula One world and outside. It just the excitement, just hearing that name. That's one of the iconic tracks in the world for any type of gearhead and uh going back to 2007 that hopefully we get some more of the same some uh wet bumper cars would be wonderful i like you said I've i'd love to see grosjean being carried by a tractor <laughs> back to his grosjean that gully would be, that would be the pinnacle of memes wouldn't it if that could happen for me his his fingers crossed for that well if he's leaving maybe he'll leave us with that that's the last shot we see of Grosjean in a Formula One car, him being ascended to the heavens at the front of a tractor. What's our expectations for the race? Obviously, we haven't raced there in a heck of a long time. It's like we've never raced there, essentially. We haven't raced in these cars, anything like that. Um, let's have some predictions, guys. Let, let's, I'm not saying tell, tell everyone they're going to crash on turn one or whatever, but who's going to dominate the weekend? Who, who's, who's not? Well, for the longevity of the amount of time since it's been, since we've been there, there are only, what, four drivers on the grid that have actually raced there in a Formula One car. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, even though he was carried out by a tractor, has been around there. Kimi has been around since the track was built, I'm fairly certain. Uh, so they automatically have an upper hand on some of the younger guys that have never even been there. Uh, I think no matter what the conditions are, Mercedes have shown themselves flexible and adaptive enough that I'm most likely going to predict another max mix-up somewhere, but it's going to be Lewis and Botas first, and we'll see who comes in third. It will not be Kimi. But the older drivers are going to distinguish themselves because they have experience, period. Cal, what, what, you know, what, what, what do you think you'll see and what would you like to see this time next week? What I think I'll see is exactly what Matt said. What I hope I'll see is a Red Bull on the top step of the podium with maybe a McLaren on the podium as well. Will we see it? Probably not. But if the weather helps us, 
we could see plenty of chaos like Hockenheim a couple of years ago. Let's hope that that sort of weather comes in and we see an absolute mismatch of drivers all in the top 10. That would be great to see. And since Emma's not here, I want to go ahead and give what her what she hopes she sees will be a Danny Rick podium and Lance Stroll into the wall somewhere safely. It's funny, you don't see footballers, football fans going, God, I wish it would rain. Oh, God, it would make it such a great match. Why do we depend on rain so much? Well, that's because we're in an era of dominance. But do you know what? I'm going to put it out there myself and just say, I think we're going we're gonna to see something unexpected next week. Um, I don't think Lewis will win it. I'm just putting it out there. I don't think he's going to hit the Schumacher record. Um, if he does, we will talk about that next week. If you don't follow us on Instagram... At Formula Nerds. If you don't follow us on Facebook, at Formula Nerds. I should just record this one-off and uh, put a little segment each time so it's consistent. But um, thank you very much for listening. Rate us. Hope you enjoyed the interview that we had as well. Um, leave a comment and um, tune in. Share it. Just tell all your friends about it. You know, don't write a rubbish review because we don't want it. Um, <laughs> Ollie's rambling. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt. And just a reminder, and thank you to everybody for being here and supporting us as we've grown this and hope to bring even better podcasts going forward. Uh, if anybody has the inclination to tell your friends, memes are not free. We are working our hind ends off every day to make us some great content to provide you guys and just continue. Thank you for the support. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for supporting us and like, subscribe across all platforms because it is a massive help, like Ollie said. And I'm going to leave you all with a mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) He actually did as well. He's actually dropping the mic because his girlfriend's annoyed because he spent too long recording this podcast. Do I have to edit that out? Can I keep that? He broke his mic. I'm joking, it works. I'm joking, it works. You put me off when you yawn, Cal. Oh, well, that's more your problem than mine. It's the maximum they could charge for the power plant on that. I'm trying to find that in my notes. Power unit. Uh, Power plant? Power unit? That's a power plant. Okay. Uh, Jesus Christ, Matt. Beers, man. Is that a beer? A cheap beer? Yep. (laughs) They send you wild. Multiples for any uh, power plant. What are they going to do for next year if you compare the two, two figures? What are the two figures? I don't have those in front of me. Okay, I'll, I'll, um, I'll start that one again. Um, <laughs> Please, you said it. I was like, I don't have the numbers. Uh, I didn't have them on my screen, so I thought, oh, I sent them to Matt earlier. He should know. Um, I'm going to start that so again because I've done it in different currencies, but I'm going to say it again. Okay, so if we look at Red Bull, um, <laughs> cheers for that, Matt. <laughs> yeah. And what they call CFDs, which are the computer fluid dynamics. Damn, I have to find it if I'm going to say this. I don't have the numbers in front of me about how many wind tunnel, wind tunnel runs they do using smoke and water. Just computer. Damn, this is hard to even put in layman's terms. One more try. Damn, that's 2022. My notes are all running together. Let me try this again. Try and keep everything a little bit closer to the test, to the chest, and make their. T- they just reversed the top ten, I believe. Is that wrong or right? It's time this week to um, go. We've got a special guest on Are the we show. Doing Perez or interview? Interview. It's time to get into our interview. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, 